This is Kate Moorhead with Find It, The Vital Signs of the Spiritual Life. Today we talk about the second vital sign, which is to give. The preface of this journey of giving has nothing to do with material things. Before we give anything at all, we must alter our perception of our lives. We do this by practicing gratitude. Gratitude is a way of seeing things. Gratitude is practiced when we choose to acknowledge everything that blesses us, even our pain. Saying thank you to God is a practice. It is a discipline, not a feeling. If we wait to feel something, we will be at the whim of our emotions. No, gratitude is a discipline, and it is an art. It is practiced simply by naming all the things, people, ideas, and events for which we are grateful. It is a way of perceiving the world. My cousin Richard lives in Washington, D.C. He's married, has a full-time job as a lawyer with a thriving nonprofit, and is the father of a toddler. Each day, amidst the busyness of life, trying to raise a toddler in a pandemic is, after all, no joke, Richard practices what he calls the ABCs. He does the ABCs in the grocery store, in the car, on the train, in his office, whenever he can remember. Here is how you can do them, too. Simply walk through the alphabet and give thanks for that thing in your life that begins with each letter. A. The apple I ate. B. My bed. <laughs> C. My cat. And so on. It reorients the mind to gratitude. The brilliance of the ABCs is that they are a game. They are playful. Gratitude need not be serious or cumbersome. Have fun with it. Giving naturally emerges from gratitude, from a sense of abundance, a noticing of the gifts that God has given us and the desire to further the blessings. Begin with gratitude. And from there, we can learn to give. Now, it's one thing to give away some stuff, like I did when I moved to a smaller house, giving away stuff that you may or may not use. It's an entirely different thing to give away money, because we can always use money. Money has become the equivalent of worth. Our language is crystal clear. We talk about a person's net worth. How much more clear can we get? The more money you have, the more valuable you are. We have gotten money confused with the value of a human being, of a human life. The worship of money, the belief that money can help us and solve our problems, this is called idolatry. If you ask most anyone if they worship money, they would probably say no, but it is not true. All of us worship money and we are afraid to go without it. Without money, our lives are at risk. Money is security and it is control. With money, I can fly anywhere in the world and get people to do almost anything for me. Without money, I have no power and no influence. 
There is no denying that money is an instrument of power and prestige in our world. And yet, if we allow money to be worshipped, it will become our master. We will find ourselves constantly checking our bank accounts, storing up for retirement, working so hard that we do not enjoy life, and forgetting that money is for our use. We can get so accustomed to the accumulation of money that we are afraid to be without it. We hoard it and hide it. We do not speak of our salaries in this culture. A person will describe their intricate abdominal surgery to me, but they will not tell me how much money they earn because salaries are sacrosanct. We must hide this information or someone might try to take our money away from us. We swim in this culture. It is the air that we breathe. It is our reality. Every day we are told in so many ways that people want to take our money. We are trained to believe that we need money to survive. And it is true. We couldn't live without money. So how do we follow Jesus? Jesus' life seems so far away from ours, an impossible dream. Where do we begin? We begin, as with all the areas of the spiritual life, by taking small steps. We begin by giving. We simply take a dollar and put it in an offering plate and then move on from there, one step at a time. When you think of it, the church today is a miracle. The fact that the church exists at all is a sign of God's great love. Why? Because the church is free. We do not charge admission. All we ask is that people give. What a concept. The church lives counterculturally. We want more than anything for our fellow believers to begin to understand the liberating joy that can only be found when we give, so we wait for generosity. We trust that our people will come through and we will be able to keep our doors open. Believe me, it is a scary way to live, but life-giving and miraculous. Every year, I must believe that we can raise millions of dollars so that we can care for our beautiful campus, hire our staff, and do our ministry. Every year, we start with nothing and pray for the generosity of our people. Every year, we trust in God. It is the worst business plan ever and the most beautiful miracle ever. We are free. The easiest way to give is to begin with a small portion of your salary and give it away first. Write God into your budget. It doesn't have to be a large amount at first, but it should be deliberate and intentional. Pray about it. Start gently. And again, just like with prayer and worship, let go of the shame and guilt that often arise when we contemplate spiritual practices of any kind. These feelings are secretly destructive and must be dismissed. Love yourself and celebrate the fact that you are even contemplating giving. Just the discernment process involved in giving will teach you so much about your personal priorities and goals. Once you have determined an amount, build the timing of the gift into your regular routine. 
attend church and put an envelope in the plate, go online once a month and make a gift. Some of my parishioners set up a direct draft with the bank, but check each month to see that it goes through. Some even give annually, but that practice limits the joy as the gift is only seldom given. At first, you may find that your mind wrestles with you when you give, but as you practice, this kind of deep joy will begin to emerge and grow. Next, you will come to the joyful but very difficult decision of where to give. It used to be that Christians gave all their gifts to the church and the church started hospitals, housing, soup kitchens, and other ministries. Today, we have nonprofits that live separately from the church. Many were born from ministries in church, but in order to increase their reach, they have expanded far beyond the walls of the church. The cathedral where I serve has now birthed six large nonprofits. From housing to health care to education and urban development, these nonprofits are able to accomplish far more today than they did when they were confined to the church. When people give today, they are encouraged to give to the church, but also to give directly to ministries that inspire them. Some choose to give to Greenpeace, some to Habitat for Humanity, and so on. Others feel that it is overwhelming to give to outside causes, so they give their entire gift to the church, trusting that we will birth more projects as we worship and pray and serve. The discernment process is part of the journey. It is uncomfortable at first, but quickly becomes joyful and life-giving. And the more you give, the more you will want to give, for it anchors you spiritually in ways that are beyond words. Essentially, you are beginning to fulfill your own true nature. One of the greatest ways to love is to learn how to say goodbye through giving. It is ironic that departing can be loving, but it is. At the end of life, we must give our lives away. I see the pain and even agony of families whose loved ones have not made a will or a plan for dying, and I see the love that flourishes when a person loves enough to plan. In our culture, death is equated with failure. The medical community is shaped by insurance and the fear of lawsuits. We either, quote, save lives or we, quote, lose lives. This implies that when someone dies, we have lost. But death is not a failure, it is part of life. Death is unavoidable. The death rate is 100%. My poor congregation hears that a lot. No human being has ever lived forever. It does not work that way, no matter how much oil of ole you use. Jesus died in front of the world. He hung on a cross for all to see. Artists and iconographers have tried to depict his death for millennia. Why did the incarnation of God die so publicly? Yes, to return and show us that death is not the end, but merely a doorway to eternal life, but also to show us that we too will die. Once we face the truth about death, we can learn to live life more fully. Life is a gift that is given to us from God. It is to be enjoyed and to be cherished, but it creates pain when we cling hard to life. As it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a time to die. But what does dying have to do with giving? Everything. 
There is no greater act of love than to give everything away before you die. A will can be the best way to share your love. A will is a love letter to the world, using your life and your belongings to write the story. Gifts that are left in a last will and testament have weight. They speak volumes. Think about what you could say to the people that you love. Write letters, leave paintings, jewelry, your stamp collection, your car, and most of all, leave your money. If only people would be conscious and wise with their legacies, we could do so much good in the world. What causes inspire you? What keeps you up at night? Leave money in your will for them. Let it be known that you, can, that you care. Let your love live on even after you die. Jesus died in such a way that joy and new life were born. We can do the same by giving our whole lives away at the end and leaving a legacy of love behind.